Hi, I'm Don Mackey, welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Welcome to Pathways to Rural Prosperity. I'm Shelly Pash, Manager of Rural Entrepreneurship for Network Kansas. I've been in the ecosystem building, entrepreneurship, and economic development arena for 14 years. And welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. You know that song, Mr. Mackey? Yes, I sure do. It was a (laughs) show I watched (laughs) as a younger person. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So always good to see you. Yeah, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We've got some sunshine in our world and... It's it's beautiful. It's absolutely yeah, spring beautiful. is coming. I know this is great. So uh, let me do a little bit of an intro on you, since my fourteen years is nothing compared to your forty, <laughs> right? <laughs> Working in community economic development throughout North America, more than forty years, as we said, with a deepening focus on entrepreneur-led economic development. So, Don, welcome, salutations, and good day to you, sir. Yes, it's good to be with you again. I look forward to our conversation today. Yeah, so we're in part two of our series, focusing on rural entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial ecosystem, and entrepreneurial ecosystem building assessments to strategy. So, I almost was going to have to reschedule this with you. <laughs> it was like. <laughs> We're smacking our youth events right now, so it's been pretty fun and exciting, and these these kids are way smarter than, than I could ever think of being. So I did get to look over some of the information you sent me, and in part one of the podcast, focusing on rural community ecosystem building, we kind of explored community readiness and organizing for action. So in this episode, we're actually focusing, like we said, on the role of assessments and strategy building. So. I'm going to ask you if you would share why assessments are foundational to smart strategy development. Well, we think there's an opportunity for us to be more efficient and effective, and that means being smart, really looking at what are your genuine opportunities, what are your assets that you have to work with. It really is rooted in asset-based development as developed by John McKnight and others a number of years ago. And what we've tried to do is these are not dissertation-level assessments, but they're meant to be quick and easy and... Hooray! (laughs) Yeah, because we want the community to get to working with their entrepreneurs as soon as they can, but we also think there needs to be some direction as to how do you engage in working with entrepreneurs. And so... Over the years, working with communities all over North America and a lot of hard lessons, both good and bad, (laughs) we've discovered that there are these five basic assessments that if a community hasn't done them already, they should do them. Two of them relate to organizing and the other three relate to assessment. And the other thing we've learned is that if you'll do these assessments, it not only gives you a stronger collaborative for moving forward with your strategy, the assessments really do define your strategy, whether you're just getting started with entrepreneurship 
or if you've maybe been working with it for a while and you're looking to go to that next level of strategy and performance and impact. Nice. So I know looking over some of them, I won't give it all away, <laughs> but <laughs> I know I was looking at, I'm like, oh, development opportunities, which I'm very familiar with how the regional economy is doing and where it's heading, even entrepreneurial talent and its quality. So within the E2 development framework, there are five assessments. I just gave up two of them. <laughs> just gave up two. Maybe we could quiz people at the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can you share the assessments and how they contribute to the entrepreneurial success in rural communities? Yeah, we touched on two of those last time, and these are really more relevant during the organizing phase. And so one of them is to actually map and target who your stakeholders are that you're mm -hmm. going to bring into your collaboration to make this happen. And of course, with e-communities in Kansas, you suggest to the community who should be at the table and as part mm -hmm. of that e-team, so not an unlike thing. But we want in that assessment for the community to really think more expansively. Should the faith community be at the table? If it's a real strong community with a strong faith community, mm -hmm. that's a way to reach certain sure. parts of the community that otherwise you might not reach. So that's one of them. The second is, if you think about the more traditional economic development groups, the chamber, you were with a visitor's bureau and tourism, or I guess a Main Street Main group. Main Street, I, sure. I, I, I got to get but that we right. All, that's okay. We all work together. Hopefully, everybody's you know yeah. talking to each other and working towards the same goal. Absolutely. Or maybe that county economic development group that's been historically focused on attraction that second organizing assessment is really to look at the missions of those groups and how it might align with an entrepreneurship strategy. So, for example, the Economic Development Corporation, if it's in its mission to primarily recruit business to town, may say, well, you know, this isn't relevant to us and may actually see the entrepreneurship initiative as a competitor for resources in the community. But if you think about it, if you focus on growth-oriented entrepreneurs that are rooted in the community, going to begin to sell outside of the community, that contributes to the base economy in the same way attracting a business does. And so that second exercise really allows these groups to say, oh, I can focus on this part of the entrepreneurial talent pool that'll help me achieve mission accomplishment, but at the same time, work collaboratively with everybody else to build that ecosystem. And we have found that to be really helpful in getting away from an, you know, kind of an in-town competitive resources are scarce mindset to one that, no, this really does embrace everybody who is engaged in economic development. Then as we go to assessments in terms of strategy development, again, this has been a learning curve. Initially, we had a lot more and go. We had too many. And so we backed away to those we felt are foundational. And so the first is the one you alluded to, and that is the development opportunities in the community. Every community has development opportunities. Maybe it's a great regional healthcare system, and how do you grow that out to create more impact? Or you've got a budding growth entrepreneur who's developed a new product or service. I think about you know, some of the growth entrepreneurs that 
have been part of your economic gardening program in Kansas, for example. Chris Gibbons and I were talking yesterday, and he mentioned the porch swing and and the flags in in Marysville. I'm getting him some more work soon, by the way. (laughs) I have a community that was, and I'm like, oh, this will be great. So yeah, that's awesome that you actually mentioned him. It reminds me that I have to get back in in touch with that community. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's energized, ready to go. We had a great conversation yesterday. And so that becomes important because we want to stretch the community to think about both traditional and non-traditional entrepreneurial development opportunities. And as you know, we begin to talk about the role of commuters. We begin to talk about the role of retirees. These aren't traditional economic development targets in at least our part of the world. And yet they represent real pass forward to creating a more diverse and robust economy. The two core ones, and and this goes to the fundamental essence of our E2 development framework, and that is one is you've got to go out and identify the entrepreneurial talent you have. Absolutely you do. (laughs) You don't know who's there. And it may not be as developed as it is in Silicon Valley, but it is there. You know, Andy Stoll's comment, entrepreneurial talent is universal, entrepreneurial ecosystems are not. I use that in some of my slideshows (laughs) with a nice picture of Andy Stoll. Yeah. And it's so true. And so you got to work with the talent you have. And then the second is, as part of this equation of networking entrepreneurs to resources, What are the resources you have available? And I think in rural communities, we've got to be really creative. There's, of course, those small business development centers, which we use a lot of. They're a go-to resource. But there's also creative ways to help entrepreneurs. If you've got a local growth company and it's beginning to hire people and it needs help on human resource systems, chances are there's not anybody in the community that does that kind of consulting. You may have to go to, you know, Wichita or Denver or someplace else to find that. But at the same time, you got a school district, probably have a hospital, and they've got a human resources person who kind of knows that stuff. Well, would they be willing to provide some of their time to help that entrepreneur at least understand the basics of the systems you need to become a larger employer? So, you know, those three assessments, when you put them together, really give the community the building blocks to say, this is what our strategy should be, whether it's a startup strategy or that next stage strategy. I'll just say agreed. (laughs) There were so (laughs) many times that I wanted to just jump in and, you know, I have the opportunity right now that I actually work with counties anywhere from 2,600 in population, a county, right, up to 165,000 people in the community residents. So it is very interesting to see the dynamics of, I work solely in most of the the region. I'm working with rural, but then I do have three or four communities where we're actually touching a little bit more on the diversity and the equitable partnerships that we have with those more urban communities. So it is pretty cool. It is super interesting to see just the vast difference. And even the call that I was on right before here, we've been talking so much about how do we identify the needs that are in the community. So that's another thing that I'll have to say, hey, do you know Don Mackey? You know, (laughs) like, let's connect you. Well, and, and to your point with the diversity of communities you're talking about, Obviously, that community with 160,000 plus versus the community of a couple of thousand, 
they're going to have a very different diversity of entrepreneurial talent. And so in that larger community, chances are you're going to need a much more sophisticated ecosystem because you've got a wider range of entrepreneurs that are at different stages of development. But you also have more capacity in the community to, you know, address those different groups. But, you know, for a small rural community of 2000, it's very unlikely that you're going to have a business that needs traditional venture capital that is expecting a high return and a quick exit. But you know that that community is going to need a good commercial bank. It's going to need some gap financing, maybe some LLC equity investing. So by really taking time to understand the entrepreneurs that you have and the entrepreneurs that you plan to work with, because part of that e-talent assessment is not only doing that mapping, but it's also targeting. Who are we going to start to work with next so that you have the ability to get into this in a practical way with the resources that you have? And that makes it a lot simpler than to say, what are the ecosystem resources we need to have to support that kind of entrepreneur? Well, and making sure, like you said, having those stakeholders at the table. And, you know, it is like the conversation I was just having and with the group this morning where, you know, having the stakeholders at the table, but also making sure who's going to figure out the solutions for this and not just always talk about what the issues are at hand. And of course, it's issues to access to capital, you know, oftentimes is what I'm hearing. So, we can kind of tangent off several of these times, but I do have another question in my head. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, go for it. So you mentioned two of the assessments are particularly important with entrepreneurial talent and development opportunities, which I do know a little bit about, which is really cool. So before I jump in with my understanding, research or story to divert us again, share more on what's involved with the development opportunity assessments and why, why, why they are so foundational. (laughs) Well, yeah. And it comes back to this idea that you've got to build your ecosystem off the assets you have. And of course, the most important asset is your entrepreneurial talent, but then the resources that you have or can access, you know, if you're fortunate enough to be in a state like Kansas or Missouri or Iowa that has a source link system, it's much easier to find the right resource at the right time at the right cost. But the development opportunity profile is really intended to say, where's your economy been and where's it headed? And what are the things that you could potentially develop around? And and I'll use the example of retiring boomers, because as you know, with all the development opportunities profiles we've done for your communities, that typically pops up one, two, or three. Yep. That's At least it. in the more rural communities. <laughs> For sure. Yes. And people don't consider retirees a development strategy, but if oh you my were gosh. in Arizona <laughs> or Florida, you would have a very different mindset because mm-hmm. that's been part of the engine that has driven growth in those two states as folks have you know, left the, the cold northern climes for the warmth of southern states. But nevertheless, not everybody's going south, and and those places are filling up, and they're becoming more expensive, and people are looking at a wider range of communities to settle. Not only the folks who are currently in your community that are not going to leave if you have the right amenities, but 
Those that may have grown up in a rural area, gone to Kansas City, for example, with their career and now in retirement, they're they're wanting to move back to a less congested place. Maybe they've got a million dollars in real estate in Kansas City and you know they can sell that buy a property in a rural community for $150,000 put some money into it and bank the difference for their retirement fund and so these are really powerful trends you know retirees for example they add stability because their spending from year to year doesn't vary like what happens with ag or even manufacturing. So it it adds stability. And we hope that the development opportunity profile begins to get folks to think about not only these traditional areas that they're familiar with, like Main Street and the capture of spending or supporting that growth entrepreneur, but also opportunities like retirees that could really benefit existing businesses. We were just having this conversation in Northwest Missouri where the local lumber store kind of serves as the concierge for retirees. So if you need need a contractor, they'll suggest a contractor. They'll even (laughs) kind of be the intermediary. If you need somebody to come in and do some work on the house, they'll help with that. Now, of course, they're hoping they're going to sell goods. All the lumber. And services (laughs) that go with that. And their concierge should really consider getting tipped. Absolutely. <laughs> that yeah, would be great. Yeah. There's a whole nother niche there. <laughs> and so, I mean, there's a whole set of entrepreneurial venture opportunities for existing businesses, but also for a whole set of new businesses, you know, from healthcare to travel agents, transportation services, on through the gamut. And that's just one. So in our development opportunity profiles, We know at a minimum there are 10 distinct opportunities that most rural communities can tap into, and we hope that that kind of puts a strategic edge on their thinking about how do we begin to build out these sectors of our economy that could really make it much more successful. That's a lot. I had other things that were popping into my mind when you were talking about baby boomers you know, the the retirees and everything where if I recall correctly, it was like 10,000 retirees a day. You know, what a great area of focus for, for folks to be able to do that. And, and then I know with the pandemic recession, future recession, future. <laughs> Let's hope there's a future. I think there yes, is. We're saying future, future. It's going to happen. It is. But even thinking about that paper, when we initially started talking about this with Now I'm going to try and remember where the increasing entrepreneurship with people being able to focus more on that with culture and diversity, with rural remigration, and I'm going to forget the other one. What's the well, other it's one? it's outsourced and remote uh, workers. Remote, remote yeah. workers. That's what yeah. we're doing, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, this is huge because if you think about it, Not everyone, but there's a lot of people who want a different lifestyle. So if you're right now in the Bay Area of California, where the median house price (laughs) is $1.4 million for a pretty small property without a yard. Yep, I've been there. (laughs) And if you're able to work remotely for Amazon or Google or one of those companies or one of their suppliers, but you can live over in the Central Valley where you can, you know, 
For less than 300000 you can buy a great house with a yard. Your kids can walk to school. You know, that really changes the equation. People can begin to choose more where they want to live as long as there's good broadband. You got to have good broadband that can support smart devices and you got to have a welcoming culture. But that's probably going to do more to diversify rural America's economy is all of these folks who live in our community who are working for employers all over the country, working in different sectors so that if one sector's down, you've got folks working in other parts of the economy that are up. And I think that's really exciting. You know, it's hard to say that we've got these silver linings in the pandemic recession, but this is one of those that will, I think every indication is will accelerate and will be with us going forward. And communities just need to be ready for that. We certainly do. We certainly do. And being able to focus on those things is helpful. Very, very, very helpful. And getting these papers and trying to just, you know, talk about it with some of my communities. And I, I know some of them will get it. Some of them won't. And that's okay. It's just a matter of let's have a conversation and talk about it. So, yeah, the development opportunities that you offer are fantastic. So, and they're very valuable. So you mentioned a demand versus supply approach to entrepreneurial ecosystem development. Tell me more. (laughs) Well, this is such a practical but powerful issue. For most communities at any given point in time, Shelley, they only have so much bandwidth. They only have so many resources. And, you know, in rural America, we tend to look at what one community's done and say, gosh, we should have that. So one community's put in co-working spaces or an incubator, and we go, well, if we could only get that, everything would be fine. And, and maybe that would be a good solution. But the demand approach is what we also counsel entrepreneurs to do. Talk to your customers. Find out what they like that you're providing them, find out what they would like that you're not providing them, and evolve your venture model to really optimize serving the customers you have, knowing that if you do that, you're going to attract additional customers. And the same is true with ecosystem, we believe, building in in rural America, that if you take the time to actually talk to your entrepreneurs find out what they need, then that can put a really strategic edge on what are the resources that you need to have. So if you're in a community and you don't have a good community bank that does commercial lending, chances are that's going to surface as a critical need. So you can begin to say, but, you know, 20 miles down the road is a great commercial bank that would consider putting a loan production office in our community. And this provides a way for the community to be very, very smart in the development of its ecosystem, really energizing the talent that it has, and not wasting resources on things that aren't going to pay off because you just don't have the demand for them. I mean, how many, and I love co-working spaces, but Mm -hmm. how many co-working spaces have I seen in rural America that when I go to visit them, there is no one there but the manager? Oh, yes. That's never good. (laughs) No. And again, I'm not being critical because I think they can work in rural America. But think about the resources that went into developing that and what could have happened if that went into just getting out there, talking to entrepreneurs, networking them to resources and letting that direct the development of your ecosystem. So that's what we mean by demand driven. 
Same advice I'd give to an entrepreneur. Talk to your customers. Are you listening to them? Are you asking them what I could do? My dad was a small business owner, and when he was settling up, getting paid, he would always ask them, did we do a good job for you? Uh, Get a little customer feedback, and he'd say, is there something we could do that we're not doing for you? And that really guided his, you know, with an eighth grade education, it really guided his ability to find his competitive niche in his small business. And I, to this day, as a small kid working for him, I remember that lesson. I love that. And I think we may have actually talked about that before, where it's the customer experience You know, and it comes down to what can we do better for you, whatever it is, customer service, customer experience, but you need to find out from your customers what you can do better, what you're doing wrong. We even try to do that at Network Kansas with, you know, sometimes we're talking to that inner circle of people that, you know, we can bounce ideas off of. Sometimes we're looking a little bit more at that. Let's ask maybe more of the uncommon voices, I guess. And then it's the, let's let's get everybody at the table. We want to know everything and figure out what we can do better. So I appreciate this very, very much. So one more thing, I know how long this takes, but can you typically, how long do the assessments take and how our listeners, I say that with an S because we're getting more on the social platforms, how our listeners can get more information about them. Yeah. In a perfect world, we really recommend that the three assessments of e-talent, resources, and opportunities, that you should get through that in two to three months. No more than that. And so it's a commitment. And in many cases, communities have done some work, and so they don't have to replicate that work. So that's how long it takes. Because again, we want to get those communities working with their entrepreneurs as soon as they can once they make that commitment. In terms of some additional resources, as part of this podcast, we're going to be sharing our overarching E2 University Resources Guide, but we're also going to be sharing our E2 Assessments to Strategy Guide, which will just give people a lot more granular information about why are these important, how do you use them, illustrations of them. And of course, Shelly, folks can go to our website at energizingentrepreneurs.org for more resources. We always recommend that that's the first stop. That's where you can find information on our E2 practitioners. It's like a one-stop shop. <laughs> well, that's what Anne's tried to do. And, I know. She's doing a great job. And you can join our National Practitioners Network. You can sign up for our newsletter. And also, you can pick your favorite platform for subscribing to Rural Prosperity Podcast. And, you know, all of these things are free. And so we've put them in the public domain to really advance the movement of rural entrepreneurship in America. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to chat with you and learn even more. Well, safe travels and good luck with your Thank youth you. entrepreneurship competition today. Thank you. I'm sure they'll all rock. St- oh my gosh, they're just rock stars. I'm so excited to see them all. All right. Travel safe. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. <music>